The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Go now to Luke 24. I'm really looking forward to opening this passage up to us this morning. So let's pay attention to Luke 24. Luke 24:44 through 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Kate. Pray with me. Our great and glorious God, we can't thank you enough for the message of the gospel, for the hope that you bring, and for the mission that you empower in and by your church and through your people. So, Father, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds to the truth of your mission, that we might be impassioned by your mission to the nations, that the world might know that there is forgiveness, there is reconciliation, there is life, that you are the one that we're all looking for, and you are the one that we all need. Come, Holy Spirit. Make sense out of my words. May I be faithful to your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I studied this passage and uh, really this whole theme over the last week and even longer, I've been impressed by one reality. I don't know any other way to say it by saying this. Um, It seems as if when we look at God's mission to his world and how it's communicated, that one central reality is true, and that is God is telling the world that he is not a racist. Um, If we look at this passage, we see that, uh, and really go back to the Old Testament, we understand that he had to continually remind his people that he's not a racist. We look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we read, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. But it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. In other words, what he's saying is, there was nothing significant about you. It wasn't because you were a better people or coming from a better family. No, but it's because the Lord loves you. And he has chosen He's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. He's being faithful to a promise. God is not a racist. And it seems that when people are converted to believe in God and they experience the favor of God, all of a sudden they become arrogant thinking that God is only for them. When nothing further could be from the truth. We, we look at the New Testament and what God had to do to remind Peter that, that the mission of his work in the world was indeed not just for Israel, but for the nations. 
he sets up, he has to move mountains to set up a meeting between he and an Italian Gentile by the name of Cornelius. He gives uh, um, this this almost hallucinogenic um, dream to to convince him that that he's not a racist and that what he uh, declares clean is clean. And so we we see the meeting of Cornelius and uh, Peter, and we read in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. He commanded us, furthermore, to preach the gospel and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Everyone, do you see the context of everyone? Everyone, every nation, every tribe, every land, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. God is not a racist. God is for the nations. And when we understand that God's mission to the world is to redeem the world through the person of Jesus Christ by reconciling humanity through Christ to one another then we will understand the very reason for which we are created, redeemed, and called. It's really to that extent. You see, this is the essence of our hope and our joy as Christians, namely to understand God's heart for the nations and and what he's called us to do, basically to be missionaries to the world. Think about Jesus. Jesus came, he suffered, he, he, he um, you know, was sacrificed for us, and yet Jesus never lost his joy. And the writer of Hebrews shows us the reason that he didn't lose his joy. It, 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 he tells us what it was that, that preserved the joy of Jesus living in this world, the kind of life that he had to live. And in Hebrews 12, in verse 2, we see it is for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame. What was that joy set before him? It was the joy of the mission of God. Jesus said in John, I've come to do my Father's will, and this is his will, that I should lose none of all that he's given me. Jesus had a mission, and his mission was to live and die and rise that he might bring salvation to the world so that everyone who believes might have forgiveness in his name. Church, what has happened to all our joy? What has happened to our joy? Did you lose your joy this week? Or or, or was your joy lifted up because of an election? Either way... If our joy is tied to a presidential election of one nation, then our joy is is, is way too fragile. The foundation of that joy is entirely too fragile and entirely too small. Because God has a mission to save the world. He doesn't just want one nation to be great. He wants the entire world to be great through the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Do you want something bigger to live for?
Do you want your life to count? Do you not want to waste your life? God says, I got something for you. It's a little bit bigger than you. Be about taking the gospel to the nations. Are you wondering what, what, what the rest of your life should be lived for? Are you in your 50s and you've kind of, you know, you've done your the career thing and the kids are gone. You're kind of wondering what. Do you want something to be passionate about to the day you die? Then be about the mission of God to take the gospel to the nations. That's what we've been made for. It's what we've been redeemed for. And we've all been sent out. Not one of us is exempt from the, the great opportunity to embrace this mission and to be a part of it. Let's look at it. Three things. The first is, to understand it, we've got to see that this really is the heart of God. Jesus is impassioned not just by a nation, but by the nations. This was the the very thrust from the beginning, and it's being declared here. Look at the passage again that uh, Kate read for us. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, when a Jewish person refers to uh, the Mosaic law, the prophets and the Psalms, they're talking about the entirety of the scriptures that existed at that time. So what what Jesus is saying is he's pointing back and he's saying, hey, there's a common thread. There's a common purpose. All of the Mosaic law, all of the prophets, all of the Psalms are pointing to one thing. And then we read, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What scriptures? Everything that's been said in the Old Testament. All right. And then he said to them, because now they have understanding, this is, thus it is written. In other words, here comes the purpose of everything that's been done, everything that's been said, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. I love that little appendage, beginning from Jerusalem. In other words, this isn't hypothetical. I've got the plan. I mean, I even, I'm telling you what city it starts in. We're going to start in Jerusalem, all right? Uh, this isn't some hypothetical thing just to think about. I love it. Jesus is, is explaining that all that has been said about him And all that he's been doing for them is for the purpose of the message of of repentance for the forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed to the nations. This is a global, worldwide reality. And this is what Jesus is making clear. We see it throughout the scriptures. Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. That, that this is the thrust of everything God's doing in the world. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Here's a missional passage. Genesis chapter 12. Twelve chapters into the first book of, of um, the Bible, the Torah, we read, go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Make your riches and enjoy your riches and live fat and happy. No. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And listen to this. And in you, 
All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here it is in the Abrahamic covenant. The mission of God, the purpose of God is to bless one family that all of the nations on earth might be blessed and might be experience reconciliation and redemption. Notice the progression. Go from your country and your land and your family. You've got to sacrifice. It is a life of faith that I'm calling you to. You've got to trust me. You've got to believe that what I have for your life is better than what you can plan for your life. You've got to trust me. This is the heart of faith. It's the, it, it's the heart of, of, of uh, Judaism and it's the heart of Christianity. It is by faith we are saved. It is by grace we are saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. You see it. We've got to walk by faith from first to last. But then we've got to trust that God is going to bless us and whatever he blesses us with is what we share. He doesn't bless you. Listen, church, he doesn't bless you to stop there. It is never his ultimate end to only bless you and me. He blesses us so that we might bless the nations. He blesses us so that others might be blessed. Do you see that? Do you hear that? He, you, I've heard people say, I am praying for my blessing. Well, are you praying for your blessing so that your blessing can be shared? Are you praying for your blessing that the nations might know that Jesus is king? Or are you praying for your blessing so that you might be blessed and live in your blessing? That's not biblical. That is heresy. And so we see that Indeed, as we are blessed, we can bless the nations. This is the simple truth of of God's word. It's the pattern of Jesus' work. Jesus said, here I am, send me. He comes, and what does he do? He sacrifices everything. He leaves the comforts of glory to come down on this earth, to live, to die, to rise. What? That you and I might be blessed. I mean, this is the thrust of, of the redemptive work of God In the world, we can go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, why did God bless his church with the Spirit? So that they could have charismatic services and just enjoy living in the Spirit? No. Listen, Acts chapter 2, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. I'm giving you the Spirit so you can turn your face to the world. You can be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I'm pouring out my spirit that you might fulfill the the missional work of God, the global national mission work of God. And we see that right after that, a church planting movement begins. It's launched and the gospel starts going to the world at that time. Every part of the world. Paul and the other apostles understood that this was our mission. This is our mission to take the gospel to the nations. And they are taking the gospel to the nations, culminating. And I love that God has given us the book of Revelation because we need it. Our faith is so weak that we need to know the beginning, I mean the end from the beginning. And so we get the final picture. Here's the final picture. What God is saying in Revelation 7 is, church, it's worth it. It's going to happen. It it, it is going to be filled up. Keep working. Keep laboring because I know you're thinking, is it worth it? Is it, it, you know... Here it is. It's worth it. Revelation 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. 
from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. God's heart is for the world. He has commissioned his church to take the gospel to the nations, to the world. And the world gets saved. Isn't that beautiful? All of history is moving to this day when Jesus is enthroned above his people and above the earth and every tribe and every language and every denomination and every heritage is gathering in unity for one purpose and that is to lift up the Lamb of God and say, you and you alone are worthy of praise and glory and honor. That is the essence of unity. Do you know this country is utterly divided by our election? But one day, someday, the world will be utterly, there'll be no debate. There'll be no disagreements. There'll be no different perspectives. There'll be one perspective, and that is, there is one and one alone who is worthy to sit on the throne, and his name is Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that something to long for? All of the garbage and the crud of this week that we've experienced? In terms of of the the division among us as God's people, shame on us. It's all going to culminate in a day when there really is unity among God's people. That's what you want. It's what I want. And it's going to happen. There it is. Because that is the missional purpose of God from beginning to end. And that's something to live for and that's something to die for. Then secondly, Jesus is not only impassioned by the nations, he's impassioned by the distinct message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins for the nations. There is a message. This is beautiful. Um, I don't know how many people in this room know the name Leonard Cohen, but um, you've been impacted by him, I promise you. He was one of the most famous uh, or most impactful songwriter, poets, and singer uh, definitely more of a writer and poet than a singer, but um, some lyrics that he wrote um, captivated my attention this week. Um, he died this week in his early 80s, and, and, and here's some lyrics that he wrote. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Isn't that beautiful? You know what? I mean, those words are so powerful. Because they point to the gospel. Forget your perfect offering. Aren't we all trying to, to present an offering to God and the world and maybe to ourselves that we are worth something? Aren't we all? Isn't that what drives us so much of the time? We're image managers. We're, we're, we're pouring our lives into just trying to measure up to some standard. We don't even know who's holding the standard. We're all just, he says, forget it. Forget it. There's a crack in you. But that's how the light comes in when you embrace the reality of the crack. And friends, that's the gospel. I spent four days up in the mountains 
of Colorado, uh, just reading and studying and praying. I didn't even fly fish. And folks, that's a miracle. Uh, I left my fly rod at home. And that, that is maybe evidence of my sanctification or maybe how exhausted I was. I don't know. One of the two. But I did a lot of reading and I did a lot of praying. And one thing that came to me was really the words of Cohen. And I, I didn't read those until this week. But the reality of what he's saying is the reality of the gospel. And that is this. Success, accomplishments, divide us. No community is is benefited by us winning, us succeeding, us rising to the top. The, The only thing that unites us is the reality of our common losses, the reality of our common brokenness, the reality of our hurts and pains and how we've been sinned against and how we've sinned. When we share that, when when we share with a fellow human being how we're hurting, when we share with them how we've sinned in humility and, and brokenness, There is a bond. I have never confessed my sin. I've always been absolutely frightened to share my sin with other people. It doesn't matter what group it is. It doesn't matter if it's my wife, my children. It doesn't matter who it is. It terrifies me. I have a feeling I'm not alone there. But every single time I do it, what I see is not walls coming up and distance, but walls coming down and deep relationships. Why is that? Because we are all fractured. None of us are whole. We are all broken. And so the message, I was struck by the message of the gospel as proclaimed here in Luke 24. What is the message of this global mission of God? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Really? What what is being said here? Jesus is saying, if you go and tell your neighbor and tell the nations that there is forgiveness to be had, and all you've got to do is admit you're broken, and you need it. That's all you've got to do. Just admit you're broken, and you need forgiveness. Admit that you've lived in rebellion against God. Just admit it. Admit, Admit that you haven't lived up to His standard. Just admit it. And that is the most impossible thing to do. And yet, when we do it, we're healed. I love James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. After this passage, I wrote three emails this week apologizing to people that I realize I failed over the last about six months. Confessing my sin to them. You know what? One of them wrote and said, I've got tears in my eyes. Thank you so much. You know, one I'm still waiting to hear from. I hope they write back. Um, we'll see, but, um, hopefully I have the right email address, but, uh, isn't that amazing? You know how hard that is to write an email like that, to make a phone call like that? And I've asked them all to meet face to face. Um, but that's the gospel. But, but why did I do that? Because I realized this week, yet again, how, how forgiven I am. And it's only someone who knows they're forgiven that can forgive. 
It's only someone who knows that they're broken and they've messed up. And, and in their best efforts, they absolutely blew it. And they can reach out and say, hey, I'm sorry. And this is why I'm sorry. This is what I did against you. That's the gospel. You can see now how the gospel is the power and the only power to create an honest, deep, relational community. The gospel can only do that. I also, on my break, spent some time studying the Psalms. I say on my break, I've really been doing it um, for several months now, and I'm going very slow, extremely slow. I'm on Psalm 30-something. I guess I've started in January. And, and I'll share this with you. Get the Songs of Jesus by Tim Keller. It's a devotional book. And I'm telling you, it's, it's radically changing my life. Um, not Keller, but the fact that maybe it's just the fact that I've got a disciplined way to go through the Psalms. I don't know what it is. But anyway, really, really in, impacting me. The Songs of Jesus by Keller. And um, after reading about 32 uh, or 3 Psalms, I began seeing this common theme of the face of God. And so I went back when I was doing my sabbatical and, um, and really kind of dug into all the passages where the face of God, the eyes of God um, is, is um, stated. And, and here are just a couple. Uh, Psalm 27, 8 and 9. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. And that, I love the progression there. That is so honest. That is so us. You've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. But I'm, I'm putting myself out there. I'm looking. I want to see your face, so don't hide it from me. You know, uh, please don't let me down because I'm investing a whole lot here. I'm being very vulnerable. Let me see your face, but please don't hide it from me. I love that. And then 30, verse 7. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. I don't really know what that means. That's poetic language. You know, I don't know what my royal mountain is, but uh, it meant a lot to him. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. When you hid your face from me, when I, when I couldn't find your face, I was dismayed. Now, what could be so magical about the face of God? Have you ever hurt somebody you love? All of us have. But have you ever hurt somebody you love, and when you came to them, you didn't get a face of condemnation, but you got eyes of love? <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I mean, you come knowing, I deserve to be condemned. I deserve to be cast off. And yet what you get is forgiveness. And some of you in this room may say, I've never, that's never happened to me. Well, let me tell you something. That's the face of God. You think the face of God is scowling. You've been told the face of God is, is some type of self-righteous judge who's looking at you like, come on, can't you do more? But the reason the psalmist wants to see the face of God, the reason that the connection of, of life is to see the face of God, is that when we truly see the face of God, we see the eyes of a Savior who has given His life that we might live in the reality that we're forgiven. Forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, repentance, all you must do, that the whole hope of the gospel, all you must do is say, I blew it, I need forgiveness, I believe, Jesus, that there's forgiveness in you because of your life, death, and resurrection. That, that's it. How did that become a message that's so controversial? A message that says, God forgives you. 
Because we've created it into, we've made it so ridiculously obscure. When God says, I stand before you and knock, what's he not? Why does he want us to let him in so that he can convict us and make us feel horrible and put a bunch of agendas on us and give us another to do? No, because he wants to sup with us. Because He wants relationship with us, He has reconciled us, He has forgiven our sins so that now we can walk with Him in the garden in the cool of the day. That's it. He is not a taskmaster. He is a Father who loves us. So when was the last time that you told a neighbor that God loves them? When was the last time you you, you told a neighbor, there's forgiveness in Christ Jesus? I don't know what's going on in your life, but man, there is infinite forgiveness. When was the last time you had a burden to go to another nation and just tell somebody, there's forgiveness, there's hope? What Jesus is saying is that this is the multicultural gospel that every human being needs and wants and lives for. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus impassions us by spirit to declare this message. This passage comes at the end of Luke 20. It's the last chapter. It's the last few words of of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So this comes after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's before his ascension, obviously. He's speaking to his disciples. But he tells them, he gives them instructions. Um, He says, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Last word, the last uh, verse that we read, that Kate read. What in the world? Why do we need the Spirit? What, he's talking about Pentecost. On this side of Pentecost, looking back, we know exactly what he's saying. He's saying is you need the Spirit. But why? Why do we need the Spirit in, to be successful in proclaiming the gospel of forgiveness to our neighbors? Well, let's go look at what those who received the Spirit said about the Spirit, what the purpose of the Spirit was. Listen to Paul in Romans 8. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What's going to keep you from taking the gospel to the nations? It's the spirit of fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption. Notice he didn't say you've you've received the spirit of courage. No, you've received the spirit of understanding the realities of the gospel that the Father chose you before the foundation of the earth and he paid a price for you that you might be adopted as his son and daughter. That's the spirit of a Christian who cries out, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He goes on in Galatians, because you were sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Why? Crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave because that's how we view our lives. We're just slaves. God's another person that wants to use us. No, he doesn't want to use you. He's employing you in this joyful mission. Anyway, um, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being root, or I'm sorry, um, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, let's go to Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. There's that power. You're going to receive power, Jesus says in in our passage. So what kind of power is Paul praying for the church in Ephesus? um, That you might be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
What, why do we need Christ in our hearts through faith? That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, here's the power, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The power that we need to take the gospel to our neighbor and the nations is the power to understand how much God loves us. Do you get that? This morning, do you want to know what God wants you to know? I love and forgive you. Look in my face, says God. I love and forgive you. Why did Jesus become flesh? Why did He dwell among us? Because He loved the world and He wanted the world to tangibly know he, he wanted the woman who lost her husband and then had lost her only son. He wanted her to know that there was a man in the world that loved her. And so he went and he, he raised her son and restored him back to this woman so that she would have tangible realities of her life, that there's someone that cares. Isn't that beautiful? Why did Jesus feed the 5,000? Because he wanted to start a franchise of, of feeding and become... No! Because he wanted them in their hunger to know how much he loves them. And so why do we go to a watching world? Why do we, we, we propel ministries like Women of Hope? Why do we live a life like Women of Hope with our neighbors and those in our city? So that the world might know the simple reality that God loves them. It's word and deed coming together that the world might know the beauty of the message of the gospel. So the question before us this morning is, do you really know how much God loves you? Do you know that you've been forgiven? Are you relishing the reality of your forgiveness? Is that the most important reality to you today? If it is, then you will have a passion to go to the nations and tell them God loves you too. It's not because I'm special. There was nothing about me. It is by grace I have been saved through faith. And this not of myself. Even my faith's a gift from God. There's no reason why God would love me. And that means that He can love you too. If He can love me, He can love you. If He can forgive me, He can forgive you. Do you see it? This is the message of the gospel. It's the message that we must take to the world. Well, if we believe it, I'm going to give just uh, five, and we can put them on the the screen, just five practical things. If God has somehow sparked in you a desire for the nations, let me just say this. Number one, the world has come to us. There is the largest, one of the largest communities of West African Muslims living in Whitehaven right now. One of our mem- or, um, uh, yeah, one of our members, Wayne Denny, is um, teaching an ESL class to them, and he would love volunteers to come and either help teach or just simply embrace um, someone from West Africa, have them to dinner, take them for a cup of tea, what, whatever. Um, he would love it. You can, you can email him. Reach out to World Relief. It's a hidden gem in our city. It started just a few years ago, ministering among um, uh, the immigrants, that um, immigrant population in our city. Kate Conkling works for them. You can shoot her an email. We have missionaries such as Kelsey. You can talk to Kelsey. She goes to Sierra Leone at least four or five times a year. Uh, several of our members have gone with her. Uh, we have a sweet relationship with them. You can go. Pray for the Ingers. Pray for the understalls. Pray, pray, pray. I told the first um, um, 
group, our 9 o'clock service, that there's a man at Second Pres that has been praying for me and my family by name every day for the last eight years. Every time, he's a UPS driver. And every time I see him, he asks, okay, so how is, how are you and Rachel and how's Whitney and Jed and Ashley and Nate and, um, Amy Catherine and Tom? I'm like, he's praying for me every day. You know, I, I mean, my wife hadn't prayed for me every day for the last eight years. It's like, who is this man? What if, what if you wrote to Ingers and said, I'm praying for you for the next five days, for the next month, for the next, I mean, do you know what that would mean to them? You say, oh, prayer, just pray. Uh, I've been to India. It is lonely. It is isolating. And that's the biggest challenge. To know people are praying is huge. The same in Lebanon. Mission trips. Talk to Kelsey Martin and Nicholas, uh, Nick Barnhart. Uh, they're our, t- our mission team leaders. And um, they are in touch with opportunities for you to go. Believe the gospel. Go to the nations. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is hope in Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is forgiveness, but that's exactly what we all need. Thank you that there is reconciliation. Thank you that there is hope and that we can take a message of the gospel to the world because you have redeemed us. So, Father, would you empower us for that mission? Would you work in and through us to that end that the world might know the glorious hope of the gospel? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.